Father, we thank you for the cleansing that we do have in Christ. As you say in Scripture, you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. We become members of the body of Christ, and as members of the body of Christ, we're to care for one another. In recent weeks, we discussed shepherding. As we reflect on the body tonight in a little different way, we want to be open and sensitive to your ministry to us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you had to use one word to describe what God desires in the body of Christ, it's a word that Christ said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. What word would you use? Pardon? Love. If you look at love from a scripture point of view, you will find that basically it involves giving. Just giving. Expecting nothing in return, considering others and giving. We want to think about love in the body of Christ tonight, loving others in the body of Christ. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, several verses here, then some in chapter 12, then we'll go to chapter 13. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing to a divided church. He's writing to a church that had immorality in the church. They were tolerating it. There was lawsuits among believers. They had some marriage issues. Apparently, they were abusing their freedom in Christ. They had some questions concerning the resurrection of Christ, but yet he calls them saints and reminds them of who they are in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, (coughs) leaping into the context, I understand, verses 30 and 31. In the midst of explaining the importance of Christ, he says in verse 30, it is because of him, that is because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has now become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Earlier in the chapter, he talked about the wisdom of God tied in with Christ, tied in with the gospel of Christ. And he says, Christ has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So our boast should be in the Lord. The resources, if you please, for living in the body are found in Christ. Now over to chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. In chapters 12, 13, and 14, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, he says, the body is a unit. He's talking about the physical body. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Just as the physical body is a unit and has many members, and all its parts are many, they form one body. So in the body of Christ, it is a unit, many members. Though its parts are many, they form one body. 
Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit. And the idea of baptized means to be placed into. By one spirit, we were placed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. By the spirit, we're baptized or placed into the body of Christ, whether Jew, Greek, slave, or free. And we have the spirit of God living within us. At the end of chapter 12, the second part of verse 31, he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Every morning when I brush my teeth and shave and shower and so on, I'm reminded of that passage because on the shower curtain are those verses. We can speak in tongues, as the Corinthians were doing, of men and of angels, But if there's not love, it's a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. You may prophesy, you may fathom mysteries, you may have knowledge, but if you can have faith that can move mountains, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. Give all you possess to the poor, surrender your body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul seems to be quite concerned about love as it relates to the body of Christ and believers using their gifts. Then he goes on in verses 4 through 8 to describe love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Speak with the tongues of men and of angels. You have the gift of prophecy. You can fathom mysteries. You can have knowledge. You may give your body to be burned, but you have not love. Paul says, 
I'm nothing, I gain nothing. In Ephesians 5, we won't turn there. 1 and 2, Paul there talks about that believers are to display God's character, and that is love. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy nor boast. It's not proud and so on. When we think about loving others in the body of Christ, verses 4 through 8 should characterize our love. It depends on where a person is in the body of Christ as to how we should love them, how we should respond to them. I want to look look at some situations and how God would desire for us to love them. The first one being an individual has failed or sinned, and I'm not talking about a lifestyle of sin, but an individual who is living, and suppose they end up getting into a yelling fit in their life. You know, it's not a pattern of life, but they really lose it, and they end up yelling at family or yelling at co-workers or so on. Or maybe an individual has been seeking to live pure morally and ends up getting sucked into pornography, but it's not a lifestyle. They have failed. They have sinned. We are called to love them. We're to be known by our love. By nature, humans can be proud and say he should know better. Should know better. They shouldn't be doing that. They should know better. Well, even, even having that thought dwell in your mind and you let it there, you're not loving. I'm talking about, you know, tolerating it, lingering there. Instead, we should restore. In Galatians 6 and verse 1. He says, moreover, if a brother be taken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore him. You know, and that's to be done with gentleness and aware of the fact that you may be sucked into the same sin. If someone is seeking to live in sensitivity to God and they end up doing something that is sin, they have failed, how do we love them? We restore them. We don't go to them and say, you should have known better. What in the world's wrong with you? We go to them. We point out and help them understand that what they did was incorrect if they don't already grasp that, and I think most of the time they do. And the idea of restore is to mend them, to bring them back to usefulness. I think an example of that from Scripture is Peter was the one who very proudly when he was told that you know the 12 would or 11 rather would turn away from even claiming to know Christ he said I would never do that and we know that he denied knowing Christ three times we know that after Christ came from the dead 
Peter was out fishing and Christ came and he said, Peter, do you love me? Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus said again, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Jesus again said, Peter, do you love me? And I realize there's different Greek words used for love, but we won't go into that tonight. Do you love me? And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter fell. Peter stumbled. But Christ restored him. And who spoke on the day of Pentecost? Peter. Think about people you know and how they have fallen, how they may have sinned. We're to restore them. We're not to talk about them. We're not to talk to others. We're to restore them to usefulness. One of the ways of doing that would be tied in with a song that Ashley sang to remind them that in Christ, their sins are as far from the east as from the west. Loving them, caring for them, not keeping a record of their wrongs, but protecting them. A person may have failed in a responsibility. Not necessarily a pattern of life, but they have failed in fulfilling some responsibility. Maybe a child, <clears throat> maybe in a work setting. We sometimes tend to respond by taking it away from them and punishing. They can lay the scripture to love them but to be showing them why they failed. Express acceptance and let them try again. Having grown up in a farm, Dad generally would tell us how to do something and maybe give us a little guidance. But there were times that I failed in fulfilling a responsibility for whatever reason. Dad usually did not react. He usually acted. Came alongside and said, okay, Dan, this is what went wrong. This is why you went wrong, and this is how it happened. Now, here's how to correct that, and here's what to do the next time. Isn't that love? Other believers fail and blow it. And I'm not talking about a pattern. I'm just, you know, in a responsibility, they may fail or blow. Oh, just take it away. We'll punish them. Let's minister to them. Let's pray with them. Let's come alongside them. Let's not drive them further away. Let's be patient. Let's be kind. Let's not keep a record of the wrong. Let's not delight in their evil. Let's protect. Let's trust. Let's hope. <clears throat> a believer may be doing well, maturing. <clears throat> there may be a temptation to become jealous. 
Why couldn't it be me? And we may find fault. Well, you know, God must really be blessing them, or they do this wrong, or they do that wrong. How about a better response of loving them by rejoicing with them, encouraging them, praying with them, being happy with them, getting excited with them? That's part of love. Rejoicing with them. Caring for them. Suppose next <coughs> next, some, next Sunday someone shared a testimony of how God worked in their lives and they went to one of their children, an adult child, and apologized to their adult child for some responses that they had as the child was growing up, sought their forgiveness. And the child, who is an adult now, the Lord had already been dealing with them and said, you know, I've been a rebel. I've not been responding correctly. And I want to ask your forgiveness, Mom and Dad, also. I want to be restored. And you hear them share that. And you have a child in a similar situation. And you think, why couldn't that be me? Or do we rejoice with the person? And be thankful with them and say, Lord, it would be nice if it's me, but I'm going to let that go. I'm in Christ. I want to rejoice with them. They're doing well. They're maturing. Just rejoicing with them, spurring them on. Another situation of expressing love. Someone may be struggling. It may be relationally. It may be physically. <clears throat> or maybe in some area of their life, they're just having a difficult time. And sometimes we're prone to withdraw and think they should shape up. I share this as an example that I have heard fairly often. People go through physical problems, particularly when people are going through physical problems that may result in death. They're terminal. I've been asked repeatedly over the years, why do people withdraw from me? Why do they avoid me? I'm not sure there are some reasons. We don't always know how to respond to someone that, you know, is going to be off the scene soon. And maybe we don't know what to say or, you know, whatever, or we just don't want to be around that circumstance. How about accepting them, loving them, guiding them, listening to them, and just renewing your mind and helping them to renew their mind. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Love seeks out to others. It is not looking at self. So take the person who is facing a terminal illness. We say, oh, I don't feel comfortable around them. Whoa. How'd that sentence begin? I. The 
It's not how you feel. We're called to love. Accept them. Care for them. Put your arms around them. Pray with them. Sit and listen to them. Ask them what they're struggling with. Again, whatever the circumstance may be. Using, you know, the example, someone who may have a terminal illness. Also in this area of struggling, this has been true since the beginning of time. You know, when you're younger, you can be active and you can do all kinds of things. And as you age, you know, your activity level decreases and it decreases and it decreases. <laughs> Part of aging, you know, Ecclesiastes 12 talks about that. You know, one of the loneliest seasons of life can be the latter years or months of one's life. Because everybody is living their life. And the person that is older just can't go. Maybe any place. Loving them, how? By going to be with them. Not texting them because they probably don't text. Not emailing them because they probably won't email. They don't even know what it is. Now, when you're younger ones get to that point, you know what all that is, but you might not be able to do it. By just going and sitting with them and listening. Just this week, I visited with someone. The person said to me several times, here I am talking all the time when you come. I said, fine, go ahead and talk. After about five more minutes, they said, oh, here I am again talking all the time. I said, go ahead and talk. Prayed with the person, read some scripture. Just encouraged them to be faithful. They're just loving people where they are. Someone's going through a deep relational struggle. Just loving them, accepting them, caring them for where they are. Love never fails. It trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. Another one, someone has drifted. You know, sometimes we drift, we're tempted to drift. Sometimes when someone drifts, we may talk about them. We would wish they would shape up. Daniel, did you hear about what happened to so-and-so? They're just, we're going to explain how they've drifted from God. So Ruth Ann says, Peggy, did you hear about? No, we're prone to talk about people who drift. We're called to love them rather than talk about them, and that would mean go after them. That takes time. Might take effort, but go after them. You say they might not respond. That's not the issue. Go after them. Care for them. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Not easily angered. It doesn't keep records of wrongs and so on. Go after them. 
There's a guy who is in his, I guess, late 30s now. I've known him the entire time that I've lived in this area. But I had a fair amount of interaction with him when he was in school and as a teenager and for a period of time after he was through school. And then due to some circumstances, you know, I didn't have a lot of contact with him. And he has drifted a great deal. Drifted from God and would pose some questions like, well, if God is real, why does he allow this? You know, maybe God isn't real. Maybe he's not around. Grew up in a Christian home, spent the majority of his life in church. And I heard about some things that were happening in his life. You know, some people said, you know, did you hear about so-and-so? Well, are you going after him? So I, I gave him a call one time, and I said, you know, can I get together with you? I'd just like to talk. And I said, you're free to say no. There's no obligation whatsoever. And he said, sure, I'd love to get together with you and talk. So we got together, and after about two hours of my primarily listening, asking a few questions here and there, oh, you know, this guy has drifted pretty far. He had somewhat of an open heart. And some of his questions are really hard. If God is real, why did it allow me to go through? And I could list things that would almost make you cry. It wasn't by his choice, but he went through them. He said, I'm not sure. I don't have answers for you. We parted that night, and I said, you know, I'll give you a call sometime, and, you know, we'll talk some more if you want to. Again, it's up to you, and number of months went by, and I gave him a call, and I said, you know, how about getting together? And he said, sure, I welcome the opportunity. And we got together, and we talked some more, and he opened up his heart a little bit more to me. And he asked some other questions. And I just thought, I, I don't, don't even really, really know how to respond to these. But I went after him. Still going after him. <laughs> He's not closed. He hasn't slammed the door. He hasn't said bug off. When someone drifts, love them by going after them. And when they say, I don't want you, I don't want you to respond, okay, then the door's closed. But at least initially, go after them. Love them. Care for them. Another situation, someone wants you to do something their way. Kids are like that. You know, they want mom and dad to do their things their way. Sometimes you're a husband, as a husband or wife, you want your mate to do things your way. <clears throat> what are we tempted to do? Just withdraw or get defensive. Well, you always, if that's the way you want it, tough. No, I'll go do my thing my way. How about loving them by asking some questions, listening? Why do you do what you do? How about praying with them? 
challenge them concerning their self-centered thinking. You know, kids are very proficient at wanting to do things their way. They don't get their way, so they pitch your fit or, you know, whatever. It's got to be this way, and they're not going to play, and so on. Help them think through that. Help them reason through that. And point out that Christ went to the cross for that type of self-centeredness. Bring the cross into the play. Bring Christ into play. And maybe even share an example from your own life of how you want things your own way. You say, I'm never that way. Good. Glad you've matured to that point. But love him. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And so on. Suppose someone has experienced a real victory in their life, been struggling with a temptation, and they're making progress. And you think, why couldn't it be me? Or their victory won't last. How about loving them and just being thankful with them and expressing joy with them? Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. It trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. Just being thankful with them. Another situation in expressing love would be the issue of a decision. Someone may be making a decision. Maybe concerning a job, it may be a career choice. Maybe they're going to buy a home. We might have a general response to tell them what to do. How about loving them by reasoning with them, helping them to think? Let the decision rest with them, but asking questions, sharing biblical insight, sharing scripture, and help them walk through the process of a decision. And they may not make a wise decision, they may. But even if they make a poor decision, still reach out to them. Those of you who have kids, as they grow up, they're going to make some decisions. And as they get older, they're going to make some of their own decisions. And we as parents sometimes really want to protect our children. Well, how about being godlike? letting them make some of their own decisions. You say, they might make a wrong decision. I know, God left Adam make a wrong decision. God left Saul make a wrong decision. God left Abraham and Sarah make a wrong decision by having a child by Hagar. But he gave guidance beforehand, but they chose the wrong direction. But here's a person making a decision. Love them, reason, help them to think. But don't try to force your thinking upon them. Love protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, never fails. Loving them. I'm thankful that my mom and dad loved me in light of some of the decisions that I made over the years. 
not necessarily super evil decisions, just some that probably weren't too smart. It's not that mom and dad didn't care, and it's not that they didn't say anything. It's just that didn't always respond. How about fears? Some believer has fears, and they may fear rejection. They may fear trying a new item. They may fear opening up to another person. You just never get to know them. They're a closed book. How are you today? Fine. You don't know anything about them. They just never open up. They're afraid to open up to anyone. Whatever the fear, we might say, get over it and go on with life. Or we might just withdraw. Oh, he'll never open up. She'll never open up. So you just back off. They're afraid of rejection. So they just kind of avoid people in general. Love them. Ask them to explain their fear. Share resources that they are having Christ, assuming they're a believer, and help them move to handling the fear. Some of us sitting here are a closed book. We just don't share much of our lives with anyone. We're afraid for some reason or the other. Some of us here will, and other believers will never try a new item because they might fail. We need to help them Deal with that. On a different level, one of the grandkids was at our house one night and a couple bicycles in the basement. And they said, Pap, you think I can ride that bike? I said, get on and try it. I can't. I said, come on, get on and try it. So they get on and there's no training wheels in this and I held on for a little and then I said, now pedal. And they took off and they went a few feet and kabang. Oh, I can't ride the bike. I said, come on, get back up, get on the bike. I'll hold you again. And uh, they went a little further this time. And the same thing happened, kabang. Oh, I can't ride. You know, I don't, I'll never learn how to ride a bike. I said, come on, let's get up. Let's do this again. And within 10 minutes, They would ride from one end of the basement and they would make a turn and go back to the other end. We have fears in life. A bike might be one thing. People have fears. Let's love them. Let's admit they have a fear. Let's talk to them about it. An example, my brother Orb. We were visiting him one day in the hospital. It was just he and I. Having been around some medical things and dealing with people over the years, I figured Orb's time was limited, even though the doctors had not told him that yet. And I said, Orb, you ready to die?
That's about what I got, silence for a while. Are you prepared to die? Or have had a fear of dying. But I think over a period of months, he came to grips with that fear and he was ready to die a while before he died. Oh, he said, there's a few things I would like to have done for my wife, but they didn't get done. But I'm ready. But if I had never broached the subject, we would have never talked about dying and whether he was ready to die in a variety of ways. Just listened, talked, encouraged, shared some scripture, prayed with him, and so on. And that was over a period of months, you know, discussing some different topics. We have fears. People have fears. Love them. Protecting, trusting, hoping, persevering. One final thing, one final area. A person just won't listen. You know, they just don't seem to listen well. They don't seem to grasp things. They don't seem to get it. And we get tired of talking. We're tempted to withdraw and give up in frustration. Some of you parents have been through that or are going through that as your kids are growing up. And if you work with people, you get tired of that with people sometimes. You know, you can talk till you're blue in the face and they don't seem to get it. And you just, oh, I'll give up. There's no hope. How about loving them? Pray. Keep in contact. Explain where they'll end up if they get down that road. Let go. And let them experience some of the consequences of the choices they make. But love them. And if they tell you to bug off and so on, you need to honor that. But if they don't, keep in contact. You know, we, we uh, sheep can be stubborn at times. We need to be told at times where we'll end up if we continue this stubborn streak. And sometimes we need to be let to experience the consequences of our stubbornness. But yet, loving other believers. Love never fails. The beauty of the body of Christ is not when things are going bad and difficult, we walk away. The beauty of the body of Christ is that we remain and let Christ transform us through the love of others and through our love for others. Having been married for 42 years, There have been times in our years together that we have been transformed because we hung together. And within the body, we're part of the body. The Spirit of God lives within us. And as we hang together and we minister to one another and we care for one another, we grow, we develop, 
and we mature into greater and greater Christ-likeness. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Christ and his love for us. And when it comes to love, Father, we know that your spirit produces in it, produces it in us, but we're also called to express love. And as we think about love within the body of Christ, may the focus not be in ourselves and our own struggles and how it might affect us, but be on others and how we can reach out to them, how we can accept them, how we can be patient, how we can be kind, how we can rejoice with the truth and so on. We need your wisdom, your guidance, and your spirit to work in us. So when people fail, or they sin, or they're doing well, or struggling, or have drifted, or want their own way, or have a victory, and so on, we would have the grace to love them and care for them. Oh, Father, we know that we have not arrived in expressing love. It's a growing process. And we as a body want to be sensitive to you, allowing you to produce a love in us through your Spirit. The world around us, the community around us, more and more will say they love one another. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.